Well, I am here today, not with Pastor Mark, but with Pastor Jason, because Pastor Mark split. He was supposed to be here, and he decided he didn't want to be here. But it doesn't matter, because you taught the message on Sunday anyway. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, well, you know, that guy, lacking commitment. Well, it's it's always hard when somebody decides they're going to leave you to go sit in a, a pile of dirt with some other people. So He's going camping. Actually, I, I can't say anything about his, his commitment. He's going camping. So, Mark, enjoy the camping. I'm sure you guys will have a lot of fun out exactly. in Burrigo. Exactly. I, isn't it supposed to rain? It's nothing like the desert. Well, it, it's not. It's not summertime though, so it's good. No. I like the desert. All right. Well, so this last weekend you taught for me. I was gone, and you were teaching out of Second Timothy, and a pretty cool passage of scripture. And I got to listen to the message. I listened to it on Sunday night, actually. Oh, good deal. And uh, you were talking about some some good things, milestones, and discipleship. So we have some. We have a few questions that came in. So let's just jump right into it. Did Timothy ever have trouble following Paul? Did he ever have doubts or doubts about God's will? That's an interesting question. I mean, I don't know. You got any doubts on that? Well, I, I think if you've read it all about the life of Paul, I, I would say Timothy probably had plenty of times to doubt and plenty of times to be afraid and plenty of times to uh, wonder what in the world have I gotten myself into when your mentor gets hit with rocks until everybody thinks he's dead, it probably causes you to have a few questions. Yeah, it is pretty Im- impressive. I mean, uh, Timothy on that, you know, he was with Paul on the second missionary journey. And the first place that they end up on the second missionary journey is Philippi. And it's not very long into that, that Paul and Silas get arrested and beaten with rods. So, I mean, if that's your introduction <laughs> to the ministry, it's like, welcome to the ministry, kid. Was your introduction to the ministry that bad? Um, I, I don't think it was quite that bad. No, no I, beating I, with rods. No, well, Youth ministry not really normally, beating. there's not so many beating with rods incidents in the youth ministry well, so much. Not not to the people in charge anyway. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, camp can be challenging, camp, but hey, yeah. you know, um, we don't do those camps anymore. So, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it, would, it must have been pretty amazing. I mean, most people think that Timothy was somewhere in his late teens when he goes on that trip with Paul. And it's like, hey, you're useful to the ministry. Come with me. And then his first introduction to it is like, this is what it's going to mean to to walk in this calling. Yeah, welcome to your future. But I think also if you look in uh, in verse 14, where we spent most of the time this on Sunday. Timothy 2. Yeah, 2 Timothy 2, verse 14, where he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. You don't, you don't give somebody instruction to continue unless you're thinking that they might not want to continue. Well, certainly the the tone of Paul's two letters to Timothy are to strengthen yourself, Timothy, and don't be afraid and don't exactly. be ashamed. And so, I mean, it's very, very clear that Timothy had some reservations about this calling that, I mean, he knows he's called. He's had the laying on hands of the elders. He's been gifted. He's been set to a task by Paul. But it's still, it's like, man, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be an easy job. Well, and, and the fact that it's elders that are laying their hands on Timothy, who's maybe at this point, what, 20s? No, he's probably maybe. he's probably in his late 30s by this point, I would say, somewhere in that area. He's been with Paul for about 15 years by this point. But, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing to consider that, you know, it, the, the call that was before him was going to be a challenging one, and he's already seen Paul suffer as a result of it. Exactly. So, so I, I, I don't, I mean, obviously, we don't have any writings from Timothy in the Bible, but we have the writings of Paul to Timothy, and so you can you can see in those that there was some sort of timidity and some sort of fearfulness and lacking confidence. And no doubt there were some reservations and some questions. And, and I mean, just thinking about anybody who is following, following the call of God in their lives, all of us experience doubts as we're doing that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's every reason to, uh, to doubt 
yourself in the calling that God has placed upon you because <laughs> we fail. Well, and then when your first like big ministry experience involves your mentor getting the snot beat out of him with yeah. sticks, yeah, it, you know that's got to have somewhat of a uh, sobering impact. I yeah, think. and it's a good, it's a very good possibility. And I, I think I've mentioned this several times as we've been going through Timothy and Titus and Second Timothy that um, by this time it's very likely that Peter had already been crucified. So there's other Christians who are suffering for their faith. And, you know, the, the very city that Timothy is working in, in Ephesus, when Paul was ministering there and Timothy was with him previous to this, you know, he had seen the entire city turn against Paul. I mean, there, there's thousands of people gathered together in the, the, the theater there at, at Ephesus and they're all there because they're ticked off at Paul. So, well, and imagine being there, going, "Hey, this is going to be your city, kid." Yeah, right, right. Hey, Timothy, <laughs> you're the guy. Uh, I got a split. I'm going to Philippi and uh, enjoy. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, obviously, we don't have any firsthand information from Timothy saying, "Yeah, I'm a little concerned about this," but I think you can read between the lines that he was timid. And uh, the whole issue of doubting God's will, though, you know, I think a lot of people wrestle with God's will. I had the privilege of teaching at the Bible college today. And, and I was talking on determining God's will and plan for your life, which, I mean, you've been in youth ministry way longer than I ever served in youth ministry, but I know that when I was doing youth ministry and then working with college students at the Bible college for the last 15 years, probably the number one question that I get with people and just conversations with them is questioning what is God's will or call for my life. Mm -hmm. And so I think that people wrestle with that quite a bit. And uh, I'm certain that that Timothy, even though 2,000 years separates us from him, I'm certain that he had some some concerns about God's will and God's call mm-hmm. on his life. Do, do you still get a lot of those questions about God's call? I do. I do. I get a lot of questions about, you know, what, what does God want from me? Mm-hmm. And then how do I do that? Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's really, you know, it's fundamental questions. I think it doesn't matter your age, you're going to have those same questions. Like, what? why am I here? What am I doing? What yeah. does God want from me? Yeah, you know, it's a really important thing because, I, I mean, we did the series at the beginning of the year on purpose, and and people people want and desire to have a purpose in their life, and then uh, they, they really wrestle with whether or not they're doing the right thing or the right way, and, um, you know, the best way to, to determine that is to get to know the Lord as much as possible and do the things he explicitly tells you to do in the Bible. Absolutely. I heard a, a really great teaching, and they were talking about triangula- triangulating off of God's will for your life, um, you know, about finding God's will for your life, triangulating off of this is what God's revealed in the scripture. This is what I, you know, this is what I know of his character. And this is what I like to do and what I'm good at. Right. Right. And then you find those three things and then you just kind of stay inside those three points and bounce around and you're going to get there. Yeah. That's very similar to what I teach when I talk about discerning God's will and call. What I just taught today at the Bible college even is that when your desire aligns with, so when you take desire plus capacity. And so I, I would say capacity is your, your margin, your gifting, your talents, mm-hmm. your ability, your training, all that stuff that makes up who you are at that point in time. When your desire meets your capacity and an open door, you go through it. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I truly believe that God leads us primarily by desire. He, mm-hmm. he, he, well, I know for me, and I, I know in just talking with you and knowing you over the years that 
when you begin to walk with the Lord, he begins to change your desires. Absolutely. I mean, I'm absolutely certain if we back up 14, 15 years ago, you did not desire to be a youth pastor serving with junior hires and high schoolers at a church. Well, if, if I back up even further, I was never going to have kids. I was going to be, oh, a, there you go. I was going to be a psychologist, the typical young man. Exactly. I was going to make a lot of money. I, I want to have any kids that I can enjoy, but exactly. I don't want any kids and responsibility. Exactly. Yeah, of course. Funny how that works. huh? It is funny how that works, but you know, God gets his way. Exactly. But it is amazing because, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I am doing exactly what I want to do. And being able to serve in a church and to be a pastor and to teach the Bible. And uh, so, I mean, I can see how God has changed my desires. Because I can remember back to before I entered into the ministry, and I was quite a bit younger. I was in high school before this happened. But I I wanted nothing to do with standing up in front of crowds and speaking. I didn't, I didn't have any desire to be a pastor, quote-unquote. Um, but then, you know, you see how God transforms our desires. And, and so my, one of my favorite verses has been Philippians 2.13. God works in you to desire and to do his good pleasure. So he leads us into his will by transforming our desires. And I'm sure that that happened with Timothy. Mm-hmm. You know, there were a lot of things that had happened over the course of the 15 years of him being with Paul that would make him question whether or not, am I really called to this? But God no doubt changed his desire to continue to keep him in the work. Exactly. Okay, question number two. What kind of milestones should you make and how should you make them? So a little bit of background on this. You you spent some time on Sunday developing the idea of milestones, which I, I think would be the same idea as the Old Testament idea of like an Ebenezer. Exactly. Which is a yep. strange word, but it's erecting some sort of pillar in your life to look back on, to remember. You want to expand a little bit upon that? Yeah, just the idea that we're going to have things that either happen in our lives or that we do could be either way that remind us that we can look back on, remind us of some characteristic of God, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, you know, God's instruction, whatever those things are. And then we look back at those things and we draw strength from those things. We can look back and remind ourselves, okay, Hey, this, I remember when God did this, when we were in Mozambique, um, I saw God do some, some crazy stuff, stuff I have not seen here in the States. I saw like straight up, you know, demonic possession. I saw people freed. I actually prayed for somebody who was possessed and it was, they were freed from it. And it was like, it was surprising. It was, a, it was definitely weird for my outlook because I had not dealt with that. I mean, there's, you know, there's junior hires and sometimes you think, wow, I think there's something wrong, but I'd never <laughs> like ran into like legitimate de- demon possession. But then when you see something like that, when I saw that anyway, I would make my, experience normative for everybody. But when I saw that, it was really eye-opening for me to see how God operates in in different areas in different ways and reminding myself that God has that same power everywhere. So I can sit there and I, I kept that block of wood that I used Sunday. I've got that in Mozambique. And it reminds me of a lot of different things, but it mostly reminds me of what I saw on that trip. And so like how to make a milestone. A, a great one, go on a mission trip. Yeah. Go on a mission trip, go on a trip to Israel, go go do something. Yeah, because primarily somewhere. a milestone in a lot of ways, it it points back to an experience or a point in life. You know, I know, you know, we've taken a lot of people on trips all over the world, and one of the trips that we often take people on is, you know, the the Israel tours, which can be really transformative in someone's life just because they're seeing the places where events of the Bible actually took place. And I think it's pretty much inevitable. Every person you take to Israel picks up a stone and brings it home with, home with them at some point exactly. as a, as kind of a memory of that, that event or that place. But it's especially 
and especially key and important thing when you're on those things where God is doing a significant work in your life and you can look back on that thing. I have a number of those things too. You know, I've been to Mozambique twice as well. And, um, you know, being in that environment out of your comfort zone, exactly. um, and then seeing a number of things like, I, I remember you mentioning in the message on Sunday and it just brought back memories for me too. Cause on our second trip to Mozambique that I went on, we went pretty significantly out into the bush of Mozambique and we went and visited people who'd never seen white people before. And I, I, I remember very clearly scaring this little girl to death because <laughs> I was taking a picture and I showed her on the back of the digital camera that you could see yourself. And that, um, that was like just the trigger of all triggers. She went running away. Uh, it was, it was pretty crazy, but so, yeah, I mean, those are pretty impactful things. And so I've even got something in my office that Luke who works in Mozambique and has lived there for most of his life. Uh, now just a little bag that they, that they had given to us with some coffee in it and they had spray painted, uh, through a stencil Africa, you know, the continent of Africa on there. So I just, that reminds me all the time of that, that specific time there. So having those things you can look back on, of course, the, the biblical example of this, we see it quite a bit in books like first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, or even when you get into Joshua, when they cross the river exactly, they cross. and Joshua tells the, the men to take up 12 stones from out of the riverbed where they cross over on dry ground. And they set those up as a pillar in the land, as a reminder of what God did. Exactly. And no doubt years later, there would be people asking, what are these stones all about? And it's that opportunity. And I mean, for you, the milestone that you were talking about on Sunday, it just looks like a piece of four by four. Yep. Which to anybody else just looking at that, like, why is this guy got a four by four sitting on the edge of his table? So it doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but it gives you an opportunity to share with people God's faithfulness and his grace. Well, exactly. It allows me to to share with others, but it also reminds me because like going back to our first question, we're talking about Timothy having doubts, having questions. I think anybody that spends any time following Jesus is going to have doubts and questions. So to have something like that for myself where I can look back and remind myself, oh, hey, remember this. Yeah. So, and it, like you said, it also is great for talking to other people about. Yeah. And then also I talked about like setting, if you have no milestones right now, start picking stuff, start doing something, do, do a fast, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and remember something from that, you know, grab some sort of trinket or, you know, whatever. It can be a reminder on your phone. I don't care what it is, but some way that you can remember and say, Hey, I did this. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and you know, you don't have to jump on a plane and go to Africa to make a milestone, you can pick something, pick a spiritual discipline and say, you know what? I'm going to spend the time I would normally spend eating. I'm going to spend that in prayer for the next day and then do that. And then you can look back on that and say, look, God and I did this together. This is what God showed me. It also helps if you write stuff down. Yeah. If you're not a journaler, you know, I'm not saying everybody has to journal, but write some stuff down. I I think that's a really key one. You know, two things come to mind. One on the journaling, because I was thinking the journaling as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm working my way through the new Testament with these journaling Bibles. We got everybody a copy of them here in the office. Um, I think they really are a helpful, helpful thing to do. You know, in Psalm 90, which most people attribute it to Moses, Moses says the days of a man's life are 70 years. And if by reason of strength, 80 years. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. So it's wisdom to remember the temporality, if you will, of life, that it's not going to go on indefinitely. But I think one of the ways in which we can number our days is to keep an accounting of those and journaling does that really well. So that's, that's one way to keep a milestone. But then another one, every single married couple has a milestone in the form of a ring, a wedding ring that points back to the wedding day. It points back to the covenant that they made in marriage, but it also hopefully kind of reminds them as they go forward 
of that covenant as they walk forward in that. So the, the milestone, they not only remind us of something we did or experienced in the past, but they help direct us in the future. Yep. So really good stuff. All right. Next question. So in the context of Jason's sermon, how do I find someone to mentor or disciple me so that I can turn around and mentor or disciple someone else? It's a really good question. I mean, obviously Timothy was discipled or mentored by Paul. And so, you know, that's kind of playing off of that. Mm -hmm. What do you think? What's your first thoughts come to mind? My first thought is spend time with people that love Jesus. And I mean, I hit this several times on Sunday, get connected to people, get connected to people that love Jesus because you you can walk around, you know, all by yourself all day long going, boy, I wish I had a mentor. I wish I had a mentor. I wish I had a mentor. But if you don't make a step to actually be around other Christians, guess what? You're not going to find a good mentor. Yeah. So be around Christians and then, you know, find somebody that you have certain things in uh, common with, common interests, things like that. Love Jesus and maybe you like to go four buying. Find somebody mm-hmm. who loves Jesus and has a Jeep mm-hmm. or you know, maybe your thing is gardening. Find somebody who loves Jesus and gardens and do stuff with them. God, yeah. you know, yeah. and find somebody who's, who's stronger in the faith than you or that looks yeah, stronger that's key. in the faith. That's a you. really important thing. Someone that you can look up to, someone who has walked the walk in a way that you would like to walk the walk. I know that, you know, I remember years ago I was having a conversation. I was probably 19 or 20. And I was having a conversation with an individual who was saying, well, no one will disciple me. And the first thing that came to my mind, and I really do believe that it was, uh, you know, a God-inspired word um, was, well, if you can't find anybody to mentor you, then make sure you reach out to mentor somebody else. Yeah, as difficult as it is for you to find, if you're having a hard time finding a mentor, realize that other people are having that same hard time and reach out to somebody else. Right. You know, so often we kind of get wrapped up in this whole world of what I need and we stop thinking about what other people need. Yes. And I, I know that throughout my, my experience in ministry and, you know, I, I was able to come into the ministry right at the same time that I'm becoming an adult. So those can kind of are tracks, parallel tracks to each other. But, you know, as I was looking forward as a younger guy in my, you know, late teens, early twenties, I was looking for people who had walked the path well already. And I could easily identify people at the church because I attended the church here when I was a kid, I could identify people who um, you know, they were godly men who were, you know, walking out their faith well, just as men. And then they were godly husbands. They were married and doing mm-hmm. well. At least I could see from the outside that they were doing well as godly husbands. Then they were godly parents. They're raising their kids as best as they know how by God's grace. And I would attach myself to those people and ask questions and spend time with them. Exactly. Because I was, you know, sometimes it's not like they're coming to me and saying, I want you to come be my disciple. It's just, I'm looking to come and follow someone who's doing it right. And if you think about it, in one respect, there's a group of John the Baptist's disciples. It's in John chapter 2, I think. They started following Jesus, and Jesus asks them, what do you guys want, basically? And they said, I think they were kind of dumbfounded. They said, you know, where are you staying, Master? And he goes, well, come and see. And that's the discipleship relationship started exactly. there. They just started following someone to follow. Well, and and you found those people because you spent time around them and you were observing and that's, I think that's a huge part of it is to spend time around people, pay attention to what's going on, pay attention to people who are doing things right, which by extension means you have to give up the idea that the way that you do everything, mm. the way that I do everything is absolutely correct. You have to be willing to, to look at somebody and say, maybe the way they're doing it works better. We just had a conversation a little while ago talking about the, how's that working out for you? Yeah. 
you know, if you're having difficulty in your life, don't look for somebody who's doing things exactly the same way that you are. Maybe look at somebody who seems to have a better outcome and see how they do it. Yeah. Well, and you know, one of the other things is that being, if you're desiring, if you're desiring someone to disciple you or mentor you, um, then I, I think it's really important to have three different kinds of relationships in your life. The Paul and Timothy relationship, which mm -hmm. is Paul is discipling Timothy. But then to have the Timothy-Paul relationship, you're reaching out to someone to disciple you. But then there's also what I would call the Paul and Barnabas relationship, which is the peer relationship. Exactly. So yep. at every stage of your life, wherever you're at, whether you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, or even on up, that you can be looking, who is the Timothy in my life that I'm seeking to lead or disciple? Who's the Paul in my life that I'm seeking to be discipled by? And who are the peers around me that can challenge me, the iron sharpening iron? sort of relationships that are absolutely necessary. Well, and that's the key too, I think, hitting on that, being able to be challenged. Because if you always have the answers and you always know what's right and you are never open to somebody else speaking into your life and say, hey, that might be wrong, you're not going to find somebody to mentor you because you're not open to it. Yeah, I was really grateful early on, you know, when I was 19 or 20 and I was here serving at the church and everybody that was on staff was quite a bit older than me. Um, and I, I, I just really felt this strong sense that I needed to be quiet. And only, <laughs> only say something when asked. And so I made it a point for probably a year whenever I was sitting in a meeting and I was invited to come to pastor's meetings. I was not an ordained pastor, but I was sitting in these pastor's meetings and I would make it a point to not say a word. I would just listen and observe. And I learned so much just by keeping my mouth shut and not thinking that I always had the answer. And it, it took a long time for people to say, Miles, what do you think? But I, I do know that when it came to that point where they were asking, Miles, what do you think? that it was because they had grown in their respect for me because I wasn't always blabbering off like I knew everything. Exactly. Well, I mean, no, nobody likes a know-it-all. Nobody does. On either side of the mentoring relationship, if you're with somebody and you know they're just pontificating endlessly into your life, that's not a whole lot of point. But at the same time, if you approach it with, I'm pretty sure I, re I really already know what I need to hear from you, then you're not going to hear the right things. you got to be willing, you got to be open, and you got to be willing to have those painful conversations where somebody can speak to you and say, Hey, you know, you did that wrong. I remember you and I had a conversation like that where, uh, I was at a, we were at a meeting. It was an elders meeting and there was some question about the, uh, the cost of buses for camp huh. and me being fairly young in the ministry, maybe not chronologically young, but young in the ministry, I got myself all up in arms and then I fired off an email later that, you know, if we have such a problem with the cost of bus, I, buses, I guess I can count on everybody on the elder board being willing to drive up to camp. I don't know? even remember this. Oh, dude, I was, it was, it, it is, it is a milestone for me in a, not a good way. But then I remember. We all have those foot and mouth milestones. Well, it was great because I remember exactly what you said. You weren't like, wow, that was stupid. But you, 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 you said to me, well, I think that probably could have been handled better. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, when. <laughs> There's certain things you don't ever want to have to hear repeated to you. And that's one of those things I, that it, it's become a milestone for me where I look at it and go, I don't want somebody to have to come to me and say, well, you know, that really could have been handled better. You know, the great thing is, is there's not a single person who doesn't have like an identical story to that in some way where we put our foot in our mouth. And, and many times repeatedly, I mean, Peter is the perfect example of that in the scriptures. But, um, you know, in, in thinking about this whole discipleship and mentoring thing, um, I, I do really think that sometimes there's a level of responsibility that, that lies with the one who is being discipled or mentored to be an active 
participant in asking questions. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I say that, and, I, and the verse that came to mind a minute ago is in the Proverbs where um, Solomon says in Proverbs 20, verse 5, counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water or a deep well, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So it's like if you're looking for wisdom from someone and you're, you know, maybe you don't have the wisdom, you're the disciple being discipled or the mentor, mentee being mentored, then you need to be someone who comes and asks questions to try to draw that wisdom out. And, and I can tell you over the past 20 years that there have been a number of people that I looked up to and I wanted to learn from, but they weren't coming along and saying, Hey, Miles, come follow along. But I, I would ask, can, Hey, can we get coffee together? Or if they were going somewhere, Hey, can I tag along with you? And then it was in those times when I, when I put myself in a position where maybe I'd have an opportunity to ask them some questions and, and really probably the, the strongest discipling relationships that I've had where people have invested in me have been where I've been asking questions. Oh, I think so. I think also sometimes discipleship looks like, Hey, um, you're stacking chairs. Maybe I can stack chairs with right. you because most of the, uh, most of the, the strong discipling relationships I've had in the church have been me finding, you know, guys that are doing the work and then just jumping in and doing the work with them, you know? So it's not so much a, Hey, can we go to Starbucks and you talk to me about this? It's like, Hey, I'm going to lift up chairs with you, or I'm going to sweep a parking lot with you, or we're, we're going to go on this particular, you know, service trip or whatever it is, or go on a hospital visit with somebody where I don't say anything. I just go with them and I watch and then you start, see how they live. Yeah. You see how they live and then you see what they say. And then you later, like on the ride home, you're asking questions like, so why would you, you know, why would you say this to that person and why not say this? And, mm-hmm. you know, you have to. Yeah, because discipleship is not just the downloading of information. From exactly. Someone. It it's, is learning how that person responds and reacts to their spouse or to their kids or in difficult situations, watching them. Yeah, exactly. This we is all, why Paul would say, imitate me. Which is a pretty bold statement when you think about it. Imitate it's me hard. as I imitate Christ. It's yeah. like, I can tell you, I have wrestled with that over the years because I, I want to be able to say in total sincerity, imitate me. And and there's a lot of times where I feel like, man, I don't, I don't really feel like I could say that. Well, that, but also knowing that Paul at the same time in another place says, I am the chiefest of sinners. Yep. So Paul's not saying that is imitate me because I'm perfect, yeah, but I'm imitate amazing. me because I'm following. And, right, right. Yeah. And in another place he says, be imitators of God as dear children. And you know, you have five kids, I've got four kids. They are incredibly good imitators. <laughs> For good and bad. Yes. And you start to see what was that comment we were just talking about in our, our meeting a few minutes ago. I already forgot it. Oh, the, uh, there's, there's something in that guy that I can't stand about me. Exactly. You start to see reflection in your children. It's challenging. Um, yeah. You know, one other thing that comes to mind, maybe the last thing on this discipleship, unless you've got something else. Um, I have found mentors and disciples and people who have been dead for a very long time mm-hmm. because I read their words written in books. And, you know, there, there is, <laughs> there's no lack of good materials to learn from that are available to us. And many of those are available in free, you know, out of date, out, no longer being published books that you can find online as PDF documents. But I, I have, there are great men of God who lived hundreds of years ago that, they have become my disciple, my disciplers, my mentors that I have looked up to because I've sought out their wisdom in the things that they wrote. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think another thing to uh, maybe uh, one more thought on it is sometimes your mentor is not who you think your mentor is going to be. Hmm. I, uh, I never like with Tony Benici, I yeah. never knew Tony before his accident. I only knew Tony after his accident. Yeah. And, uh, it's interesting because I spent some time uh, two years ago during the summer internship hanging out with Tony, and there is a uh, 
there's a profound level of wisdom there that you would not immediately look for because of his physical condition, right. because of the effects of the accident and the, you know, the brain injury and everything. But there is a lot of there's a lot of built up wisdom there, but it also it doesn't come out quickly because of the effects of the accident. It takes him longer yeah. to talk, but what yeah. he had to say was very profound. And there's that deep well that you have to draw the wisdom out. Exactly. Yeah, so if you are looking for someone to disciple you, then you can make mentors out of a lot of people, but um, you also, you should be looking for people that you can try to invest in and share your experience and the things you've learned from the Lord uh, to them. So be looking out for those yeah. people. And, and remember that, like we talked about on Sunday, life and connection is exhausting. It is. You, it will require effort. It will require you to maybe, you know, Get out but, of your comfort zone a little bit. But one of the upsides of that is that as we connect with one another, we we really do find that we have family members. These are not Absolutely. just people you go to church with. These are family members in the family of God that are there for you when you, you really need cool. them. All part of one body, right? Absolutely. All right, last one here. Had this question come up in our house this week from our kids or with our kids, Jesus, if Jesus is God in the form of man, how did God send his son to the earth? Well, we're so glad that the kids are giving us the really simple questions to <laughs> Well, kids to are good at that, right? Here. Yeah, absolutely. They do come up with some pretty good questions all the time. Um, you know, th- the first thing that comes to my mind on this point is Paul's words in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 4, I believe it is. Let me bring it up here. Galatians chapter 4, Paul says there... In verse four, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So at the perfect time, that's when we read at the fullness of the time. So at just the right time, God, the father in heaven sent forth his son, born of a woman to be born under the law to redeem us. So everything was like the table was set. Everything was ready for the coming of the Messiah. I, I think one of the best ways, at least in my thinking on this is that we, the the concept of the Trinity is a challenging one. I've never read anything or heard a message from anybody that simplified the Trinity because wait, it wait, is, it's like ice or like an egg. Oh yeah. Or yeah. Like... Let's come up with every possible <laughs> illustration that we can that just, just every illustration breaks down by about the second sentence. Exactly. So, so yeah, um, the, the concept of the Trinity is probably the most challenging concept in the Bible. But it's clearly revealed in the scriptures. So, I mean, we are introduced to God the Father in the scriptures. We are introduced to God the Spirit in the scriptures. And we are introduced to God the Word. I'd rather say God the Word than God the Son. So we have these three, the Father, the Spirit, and the Word in scripture. And um, and each one is revealed as God, having the attributes of God, having, you know, omnipresent, omnipotent, all the omni-attributes of God. But the scriptures make very, very clear the Lord our God is one Lord. So there is one God who exists in three persons, and there is this amazing relationship within what we call the Godhead. This is that concept of God, Father, Son, Spirit. And there's this relationship of God the Father, um, you know, and the Son submitting himself to the will of the Father. We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Spirit glorifying the Son, so some amazing things that are going on in this passage, but specifically God, the son, Jesus, he existed before time began. This is very clearly seen in the gospel of John chapter one. This is seen in Colossians chapter one. This is seen in a number of places, even all the way back in Genesis, when we see 
and the Lord God said, let there be light. A lot of people see that the, the speaking forth as the Logos, the, the word of God, Jesus existent there. But at a certain time, Jesus came to earth. That's the incarnation. And God the Father prepares a body for him to come to the earth to fulfill the work of redemption. Now, if I'm explaining this to a seven or eight-year-old, they're going to be looking at me like I'm nuts <laughs> because it's it's so hard to explain the concept of the Trinity, even to adults. Well, I think a lot of times, though, kids actually have an easier time assimilating it because kids are used to running into concepts that they don't fully understand. Right. Um, one of the... Uh, and kids are fine with mystery. Parents exactly, are not. Exactly. The, uh, there was a, uh, a children's video series on... Uh, Genesis that we were watching one time and it was is this it, what's in the Bible no, no. It's, it was it's some totally obscure one with one of the guys who played Dr. Watson on one of the old Sherlock Holmes oh wow you know I mean from the uh, I think it was probably put together in like the early 90s oh maybe even older than that you know, so ancient, it's like four three aspect ratio yeah it's like ancient times oh, and they were talking about the fall and so you had Adam and Eve there and the the thing that stuck out to me with that is that God told him God told Adam, that I never gave you the burden of understanding. I only gave you the burden of obeying. Hmm. And so sometimes I think we worry too much about what we understand and not what we've actually been told through the scripture. Sometimes we just have to be okay not grasping perfectly, you know, every concept because there's going to be stuff that we don't understand. There's, we run into circumstances in life all the time that we don't understand. That certainly is true, and I mean, I, I look forward to the day when we see the Lord face to face and we know him as we are known, as Paul says in First Corinthians chapter 13, um, because there's a lot of things about the, the nature of God that are a mystery to us, but if we could figure God out, um, it would really, in my, in my estimation, it would lessen his godishness, if you will, if oh, we absolutely. could completely comprehend everything about him. So there's going to be so much about the nature of God that we will be comprehending when we come into his presence. Uh, but very clearly that the son, Jesus, he's a son in the sense that he bears the same nature as the father. And I think this is really an important concept about the son of God, because in John chapter one, we're introduced to Jesus as the word of God. In the beginning, it was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, that whole passage. And then when he comes to earth in the form of a human being, and this is it, for the real technical theological term, this is what's called the hypostatic union, where Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's 100% God, 100% man. So he's God in human flesh. When he comes to earth, he is called by the title, the son of God, which implies that he has the nature of God in human flesh because my son has a human nature. And so the son of God has a, he has the nature of God in human flesh. So so that's the concept in that whole picture there. But it, the most important aspect of this whole sending of the Son is recognizing the whole purpose, the entire purpose of Jesus' coming to the earth was to deal with the issue of redemption, is what Galatians chapter 4 is saying. He came at just the right time to redeem us, to purchase us back into a relationship with God because we were, well, to go in line with our uh, vision here at Cross Connection Church, we were disconnected from God because of sin. And Jesus comes and restores that connection to make it possible that we can have life in connection with God and with one another. So, so that is, Jesus came for that specific purpose. And that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three, where the fall happened. So the fall happens in Genesis chapter three. And then in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, God tells us there's going to be one born of a, the seed of a woman, and he is going to crush the work of the serpent. So that's the, the very first prophecy of the Messiah coming 
is given all the way back at the beginning in Genesis mm-hmm. three. Yeah, well, you know, just talking about the like the mysteries of God, it uh, kind of keyed my mind into uh, Proverbs twenty five, verse two, where it says, "The glory of God to conceal things, but is the glory of kings to search things out." So it's this uh, the idea that it's a good thing for us to have things we don't understand and to try to figure them out. You know, the God didn't create us to just wander around confused all the time. He gave us an intellect. He gave us the abilities to try to learn some of these things. We're never going to plumb the depths of it. Yeah. But it's good to try to find it. It's a good exercise. Yeah. And that reminds me of Isaiah 55, eight, where God says very clearly through Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways. Your ways says the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So just the, there is this, I, I mean, impossible for us to fathom distance between our understanding and God. Paul talks about in Corinthians, I believe it is, that the foolishness of God is wiser, wiser than, the than the wisdom, wisdom of, man. of man. So it, as high as we might be able to get with our, our minds, our minds are still finite trying yep. to comprehend the infinite. And I mean, if you want to really mess yourself up, just sit down and try to comprehend infinite or eternity. I, I, I've done that a couple times and then it just kind of hurts my head and I go, you know what? I think I'm just going to go eat well, some popcorn or something. Yeah. When you think of eternity outside the realm of time, eternity not being a measure of time, but yeah, there are certain no things, certain things we cannot grasp with our minds. Yeah. And so what we do is we try to describe them in ways that make it more simple. So we use illustrations like, like water. well, water, it, it is steam and it, it can be in gas form. It can be in liquid form. It can be in solid form. And we try to say, well, this is like God, but we're always saying this is like, right? We're using simile, we're using metaphor, and this is every time those things break down at a certain level. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the end of our questions. Any final thoughts that you have on that message? Kind of seal it up with a bow? Well, I think for me, the thing that stuck out in the message was, you know, obviously verse 14. I parked there for a long time, but the... uh, but as for you, continue. And that was the, that was kind of, for me, that was kind of the crux of the whole thing where there's going to be all kinds of bad stuff going on in our lives all the time. There's going to be, we see things in society. If we get, if you get wrapped up in politics, you'll, you know, your brain will spin. If you get wrapped up in, you know, any number of things, you end up almost immobilized. And so the idea is continue, continue with what you've learned, continue what you firmly believe, continue in what you've been shown knowing who taught you. So the idea just to be, just to continue, keep going. You know, we have this tendency sometimes to want to, to quit or to, to get overwhelmed. And a lot of what Paul is saying there is because of all these things that you've seen, keep going, just keep moving forward. And you know, that, that whole thing as for you continue in the things which you have learned that's in contrast to the previous section that we looked at the previous two weeks where we're talking about these people who they are not walking in the truth. They're not continuing in the things that they had learned. I mean, the whole reason that Timothy is at the church in Ephesus is because he's got to fix the problem of these people did not continue in the things they had learned exactly. from Paul. So, so yeah, real good exhortation. And then uh, something came to mind as you were talking just a moment ago there is the the passage in Philippians chapter 3 where Paul says, not as though I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself as apprehended, but this appre- as have myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press toward the prize, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So this, this picture 
of, of Paul saying, I want to lay hold of the very thing that Christ saved me for. Exactly. And so that important aspect of pressing on to lay hold of it. Well, I think part of that verse too, not to open a whole nother can of worms, but I think one of my favorite things about that verse is where he talks about forgetting those things that are behind because there's so many things that we have in our, our own backstory that if right. we dwell on them, we're never going to go forward. I mean, Paul, you look at Paul, he had the opportunity to look back and say, hey, I was the one who was like the scourge of the church and I was running right. around, you know, orchestrating the imprisonment and probably death of a lot of Christians. And yet this is the same Paul who can remember about himself what Jesus remembers and forget about the things about himself that Jesus forgot so he right. can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, and, and it's it's leaving those things behind both positive and negative. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, at the beginning of Philippians 3, he's talking about all these things that he once boasted in, and he's left those things behind. But there's the other side that you mentioned earlier about him being the chief of all sinners. Paul had this in his past that he persecuted Christians and put people to death. So you gotta you got to leave a lot of good and bad in the past. And I, I think in a lot of ways... It's impossible for us to press forward, press on, to lay hold of what Christ has for us if we're constantly distracted by the good and the bad of the past. Exactly. It's too big of a weight to carry. Right. Laying aside every weight and the sin that does so easily ensnare us, we run with endurance the race set before us. So yeah, I think that's uh, probably a good place to, to end. There we go. Well, we will probably be here next week if we've got more questions. So God bless. See you later. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>